0: Welcome to the New Life Ministries podcast. When we think about our origins, what do we think of? Do we think of our family and the baggage that that brings? Do we think more broadly to the proposed origins of humankind from a scientific standpoint? How about biblically to Adam and Eve and how their story has shaped humanity? Today, let's talk about a far more important origin, the origin of our salvation. In Romans 5.15, it says, for the sin of this one man, Adam, brought death to many, but even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of forgiveness to many through this other man, Jesus Christ. Please join Curtis as he leads
1: us deeper into Romans 5. Okay, so welcome here, guys. We're gonna look at Romans chapter five, if you wanna turn to it in your Bible. When we talk about sin, right, that word that we use to describe all that's wrong with the planet, sin, we make two simple but very understandable mistakes. We sometimes will say, I am a sinner, I am a sinner, I am a sinner. Or, I sin, I sin, I sin, I sin. And both are correct terms at times. The problem, though, if you think of yourself as, I am a sinner all the time, is it speaks about your identity. That primarily, my identity is someone in rebellion to rebelliousness to God. And if you refer to yourself as, I sin, I sin, I sin, it suggests that's basically all I ever do is sin. And we know that in human experience, yes, we do bad things, but we also do good things. We can be really self-focused and hurt others, but we also can do these heroic acts of surrendering our life and helping others. So to say, I am a sinner, I sin all the time is really incomplete. Back in Romans chapter 3, it used a phrase, and we didn't talk about it at the time, that talks about being under sin. It says in chapter three, we have already shown that all people, both Jews and Gentiles are under sin or under the power of sin. We can't get out from underneath it. It overpowers us, it hinders us or influences us. So consider a big, big box, something like a refrigerator box. Imagine it's very heavy. You can pick it up, but just barely and it is strapped to your back all the days of your life. This very heavy box, and you know it doesn't belong there, but you are under it all the days of your life. How would it affect how you live your day? Well, you'd get tired, and then when you get tired, you get irritable, and you'd become impatient. It would feel normal, and yet it would interfere with everything that you did. You would always have to constantly give this box a little bit of your focus, otherwise more damage would be done. Like you'd you'd have to stop and think, how am I gonna go through this doorway every time you got to a doorway? Because if I don't, it's gonna hit me and knock me back. If you ignore the box and you're just kind of moving around quickly, the box would be hitting other people and banging into other people and hurting them and making their life more difficult. You could create a list of rules for how you were gonna live your day so that it worked. You know, every time I approach the door, I'm going to do it from 45 degrees and I'm going to do a quick spin at the frame and I'm going to get through. But all of those laws don't actually remove the box and it actually makes life more difficult because you're always aware of the rules you got to hold to to deal with this box on your back. And at times, you would get so sick of carrying around this heavy box, you'd want to sit and just give up. I quit. I'm done. But even then this box would remain strapped to your back. Being under sin is a little bit like this. It's always there. And we see the effects of sin all around us all the time. How did it get there? Where did this box of weight come from? In your own life, when you think about the actual experience of living your life, can you identify with that feeling of being under sin. Even if you're having a really good day, and you're doing really good things and you get home and you just told off your spouse and you just ate way too much sugar, whatever. Like it's, it's just always there. There's always this something that we carry around. With me? So we're walking to the book of Romans and we've concluded over the past couple of weeks that nobody is good before God. We are all of value but we are all under sin and by faith in Jesus we're justified we are declared as right before god just by believing in Jesus trusting in him trusting in him as the one to make things right so how does that belief connect to the refrigerator box strapped to our back how does that connect to the experience of being under the weight of sin That's what today's passage is going to look at. And it's going to bring us back to where this all began with the sin of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. And the passage is wanting to give you the assurance, the confidence that by believing in Jesus, he'll take care of the big problem. He is all you need, that the grace of God comes through Jesus in abundant ways and resolves the problem. So that's what we're going to look at. Let me offer a prayer, and then we'll read parts of chapter 5. Father, Father, your word speaks. Would you please speak to us? Would you draw our attention to the particular points in this passage that you want each of us to ponder and to ruminate on? Please speak to us. Amen. So let's read Romans chapter 5. I'm going to read the first two verses, and then I'm going to jump down to chapter 12. And if you're watching our podcast, there are lots of other sermons I have preached on chapter five that you can look up. I would do something like, you can find the link here and here and here. But then Paul has to try to put those blocks magically in. (laughs) That would be your job? Put the magic box in. You ever seen one of those videos where they say you can click here and then the box shows up over here? (laughs) That didn't work. Okay, chapter five. Therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ, our Lord, has done for us. Because of our faith, Christ has brought us into this place of undeserved privilege where we now stand. And we confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory. So let's jump down to verse 12. And he's going to elaborate on this place of grace that we now stand. When Adam sinned, sin entered the world. Adam's sin brought death, so death spread to everyone, for everyone sinned. Yes, people sinned even before the law was given, but it was not counted as sin because there was not any law yet to break. Still, everyone died, from the time of Adam to the time of Moses. Even those who did not disobey an explicit command of God, as Adam did, now, Adam is a symbol, a representation of Christ who is yet to come. But there is a great difference between Adam's sin and God's gracious gift. For the sin of this one man, Adam, brought death to many. But greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of forgiveness to many through this other man, Jesus Christ. And the result of God's gracious gift is very different from the result of one man's sin. For Adam's sin led to condemnation, but God's free gift led to our being made right with God, even though we are guilty of many sins. For the sin of this one man, Adam, caused death to rule over many. But even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of righteousness For all who receive it will live in triumph over sin and death through this one man, Jesus Christ. Yes, Adam's one sin brings condemnation for everyone. But Christ's one act of righteousness brings a right relationship with God and new life for everyone. Because one person disobeyed God, many became sinners. But because one other person obeyed God, many will be made righteous. God's law was given so that all people could see how sinful they were. But as people sinned more and more, God's wonderful grace became more and more abundant. So just as sin ruled over all people and brought them to death, so now God's wonderful grace rules instead, giving us right standing with God and resulting in eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So we'll stop there. So we have two heads of the family of humanity, Adam and Jesus. Jesus undoes the damage of Adam. We are all under sin because of Adam. Jesus takes the burden away. He takes the fridge, the box, away. This is how abundant God's grace is to us through Jesus. So this is a very compact and a very precise little passage. Many scholars have said like it's almost mathematical and it's precision, every word and phrase. So let's unpack it. Verse 12, when Adam sinned, sin entered the world. Adam's sin brought death. So death spread to everyone for everyone sinned. So Adam, biblically, is the start of the human race. We all experience or are under the consequence of what he did. And you might say, "How was that fair?" I didn't get a say in the decision. Think of sin as an infection. Don't think of it necessarily as a, a moral condemnation based on a thought. Think of it as an infection. What Adam did infected our DNA. And so we all carry the infection. And that infection is that our nature is now in rebellion to God. We want to disobey Him. We want to decide for ourselves what is right and wrong. We want to make ourselves the center of the world. And it means we're mortal. We will die. Another way of looking at it, if a person smokes in a closed room, eventually everybody will inhale that smoke, right? It's not a statement of right and wrong. It's not a statement of worth or badness. It's just the reality we find ourselves in. If someone in the room is smoking, eventually we all inhale the smoke. Let me give another example. If your parent is violent, does that affect you? Yes. Even if you move out and form a family of your own, does the violence from your parent affect you and your new family? yes Yes. even if you go to counseling to undo the damage you're going to counseling because of the effect of the parent the sin of one affects others so the sin of Adam means sinful nature comes to us all and the passage then makes this side note about law if there's no law there's no declared right and wrong how can someone sin well that's true Nobody can say, well, that's wrong, because no one has decided what's right and wrong. But was there still death before law? Yes, so the infection is still there. Now, some of you might ask, how does this relate, the story of Adam, relate to the idea of human biology? And, um, uh, sorry, how does it relate to evolutionary biology? And unfortunately, there is no clean answer on this. I read a bunch of articles this week and from uh, scholars and from Christians responding to various scholars, and the conclusion seems to be we just don't have enough information yet. Before modern man, we are Homo sapiens. We are Homo sapiens. Before Homo sapiens, there were other human-like species, and there are multiple skulls found in multiple places around the world, Africa, Europe, probably Asia, Um, And those skulls show up in different times in history from a long time ago. Those other species, those other humanoid species, are extinct now. Only the human, only Homo sapiens continue. Um, And I learned, I didn't know this, not all of the different stages developed into the next stages. Like, they're not all linear. Some developed and then just ended. We do know DNA points to a, an Eve, someone who lived in Africa about 200,000 years ago. I read another article, an abstract from an article that said modern humans really only emerged 25,000 years ago. It's really clear scientists are not completely agreed on how the story all works. Um, we do know for all the humanoid, there's a better word for that, but for all the different types of human species out there, we don't know the spiritual state of any of them. We know their behavior. We know what they, how they worked with tools. We don't know if at what point God breathed his spirit into them and gave them the role to rule the planet. We don't know the point at which the fundamental identity went from being creature to being related with God. And our fundamental identity is related to God. So there are many, many theories, and there are books and books, and they all don't agree with each other. Did God, one theory, did God create Adam and Eve in a garden that was actually quite separate from what was happening in evolutionary biology? It was, so that was a, a well-developed theory. One person, another writer said, did God take one of these humanoid species, breathe his life into it, and make them into what we would call uh, uh, someone who is uh, aware of their humanity, aware of their relationship with God. And that maybe perhaps the phrase, God made Adam from the dust, is just the Bible's way of describing what he did. Again, we don't have enough information. I wanna add though, this this is not where our faith lies. Faith does not uh, lie in being able to line up all the pieces. Once you start relating with Jesus, once you start having a relationship with the creator, this priority changes dramatically. Because when you're relating with someone in real life, how we got here becomes somewhat secondary. We're here. I'm here. You're here. God is here. We're relating. So one theory that... um, one person developed, and I think echoes with Scripture really well, is that God intended humans to be immortal. God intended us to live for forever. How he created us, where that came about, it's kind of secondary. What the Bible says and what Jesus is doing points to we were created to be a species, not to decay. And when Adam sinned, we became mortal. We began to decay and that the human story could actually be very different from the rest of biology story. When we look at stories like Jesus being transformed on the mountain. You, you sort of wonder, what was that about? So regardless of how you think about all of this, you've got a couple questions you have to answer. Things like, where did the corruption of humanity come from? Like, why do we struggle with sin? animals don't seem to struggle with right and wrong or what they ought to do. Another question, why are we afraid of death? Like, why does death seem so unnatural to us? Why do we have trouble staying in the present moment? Because animals don't have a problem staying in the present moment. They just take life as it is. So the Bible says, we carry the effects of Adam with us. This infection called sin, the fridge on the back. We are all under sin, and it affects every aspect of our life. So what is God going to do about it? Let's go back to the text, verse 15. But there is a great difference between Adam's sin and God's gracious gift. For the sin of this one man, Adam, brought death to many. But even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of forgiveness to many through this other man. Christ Jesus, and the result of God's gracious gift is very different from the result of that one man's sin. For Adam's sin led to condemnation, but God's free gift leads to our being made right with God, even though we are guilty of many sins. For the sin of this one man, Adam, caused death to rule over many. But even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of righteousness. For all who receive it will live in triumph over sin and death through this one man, Christ Jesus. I want to notice a couple things. First, God is undoing the fall of Adam. The points are the like what Adam did, Jesus does the opposite and undoes it. But second, notice the abundance, the overflow, the so much more that dances throughout this whole text. Do you know the song June is Busting Out All Over? That might date me. I remember singing that when I was a kid in choir. It's from, what do we say, 1945, (laughs) from a musical. Um, If you heard it, you'd be like, oh, yeah, I've heard that when I was a child. June is Busting Out All Over. Uh, But the song has these great words that buds are bursting out of bushes and the young Virginia creepers are hugging the bejeepers out of all the morning glories on the fence. And... All the rams are chasing the ewe sheep and determined they'll be new sheep. This idea that when we get to June, all the things that we're waking up in May are awake and going. And we have new life and new plants and things are going. There's an abundance. It's kind of like when you get like three months from now, if you've had a garden, you will have an abundance of tomatoes and zucchini and cucumbers that you won't know what to do with. There is a sense that God is including, that the writer is including in this passage of abundance, overflow. The problem is in this box, but what God is doing is so much greater. That's one thing to notice. The second thing is in verse 17. It does not say that death ruled over many and now life rules over many. Instead, it says that death ruled over many, but those in Christ will live in triumph over sin and death. The NIV writes it like this, those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life through Jesus. Death rules over us in Adam. In Jesus, we reign in life. That's quite the difference. Death over us, we over life. We've been elevated. We are greater than before. We have been restored this is why i like the idea of adam and eve being created to be immortal because that's where we end up the bible says that those in christ will be raised from the dead and given eternal life we become immortal so i highlight all of this to offer comfort as bad as sin can be good will be better we see corruption and hatred and abuse and violence and death and dying all around us. From Jesus flows a goodness that is greater in volume than the death and sin that is around us. The end result will be so much larger. Sin is finite. Goodness will go on for forever The good that comes is bigger in volume than the bad that currently exists. That's amazing. And the passage goes on to say that those in Jesus will be made righteous, which means we're not going to get into this problem again. So the passage ends with this little comment about law that seems really out of place. But imagine people hearing all of this about Adam having difficulty trusting the good news of Jesus. And in their mind, they're thinking, but what about the law? If we follow the law, I can be good. Really consider that. If you follow the law perfectly, would it really change things in your life? If you follow the law perfectly, would it dramatically change your life? Would it remove the fridge from your back? Or would it actually make life harder because of all the things you have to make sure you adhere to? And so the answer, the passage answers the question before it's asked. God's law was given so that people could see how sinful they were. But as people sinned more and more, God's wonderful grace became more and more abundant. So let me summarize this all. This passage is trying to give us confidence, assurance that when you trust in Jesus, you will share in God's glory, that God has dealt with the root of the problem. Jesus has undone the infection He's changed, he's removed the damage brought about by that first sin. Through Jesus, God's grace, his forgiveness, his restoring to himself abundantly flows to those in Christ. No longer does death reign over us, we will reign in life. And as bad as bad can be, the good that comes through Jesus is greater, leading to eternal life. And being made righteous, we won't get into this problem again. in this passage for what you've caught what is where's what's caught your attention
2: the thing that, that really caught my attention this morning was the absolutely two sides of a coin like the adam's sin leading to death christ's death leading to life the picture of it in my mind is very clear and yet how it was god who came in and rescued us regardless of our condition you know despite our insolence and our rebellion and our rejection. And he was the one that made that whole flip possible so that we might return to our natural state to, that we might again become what he designed us to be. Yeah, very cool.
1: In his image and likeness to rule the planet. It's a stunning call.
3: Yeah, this morning has been very interesting and it kind of just was a continuation of my morning at home, that there was just more going on than I could possibly do well or be on top of. So I'm just reflecting on the very last verse in chapter five, verse 21. So just as sin ruled over all people and brought them to death, now God's wonderful grace rules instead. Giving us right standing with God resulting in eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And it's interesting because I came to that point several times in my morning when, you know, there was too many things to consider. Uh, potluck, uh, church service to lead, someone in a bit of a crisis, and then, you know, come here, and there's more of the same. <laughs> so, and I'm, I'm sure that's true in all of your lives, that there is just more going on than we can be on top of or in control of. And the fact is, even in that context, God's grace rules. Yeah, Our standing is made right in in Him. Like, we're okay. Yeah, You're all right. I don't have it all figured out. But we have been given right standing with God. It doesn't depend on us having it all figured out. And I guess that's the encouragement I wanted to leave wherever we're at, wherever you're at in life today.
2: No, I like that. It seems to me that we were meant to be in relationship, to be in harmony with God. From the beginning, we chose not to be. We wanted to do it on our own. God provided the law and said, okay, go for it. Try. You can't. And so then God provides the means that we can be in harmony with him, but not through our efforts yeah. but through his doing. I really appreciated, you know, some of the stuff that you added in. The majority of people, as I see it, really dislike mystery. They want certainty. And in an attempt to achieve certainty, they grasp onto things that they call certainty, but they're not you know, this relates to all facets of our lives. You know, it always amazes me is how science presents itself as truth. You know, something very recent, you know, is with the James Webb telescope, suddenly truth exploded and proved not to be truth at all. So now there's a new truth, which will at some point explode and And I think it's the same with much of what we come to believe about God and how that all works. We want certainty, and it's not there. What's there is God, and God is mystery. And mystery is good. We're attracted to mystery,
1: even though we don't like it.
4: I just wanted to make a really quick comment just about in Adam's sin there is death. And in when we sin, we also find death within ourselves with God. Also, I do believe, though, that there is a positive upside to it. Just that in, I believe that we're all here on Earth uh, on a test run with God as to how we want to follow Him, worship Him, praise Him, work for Him. And that everyone's different. And everyone has different abilities and needs and wants under God. So... Even though we sin and yes, we do ask God forgive forgiveness and such, it really is a placement for, for us as to, um, well, when we go to heaven, we all have a certain role and placement with God. And it's important that we can show God just who we are and what we can do for him, not only in this life, but, but in the next when when we go to our eternal lives in
0: heaven. Yeah, I like that. Two things kind of struck me this week. The first was uh, the idea of the identity as a sinner or someone who sins. And I found that really fascinating. Uh, Recently, I read a behavioral science book uh, called Atomic Habits, which is about using behavior science to create good habits. And one of the most important things when you're trying to change anything in your life is if you start with your actions, you're not going to go anywhere. It's going to stop. You're going to get tired. You're going to run out of steam. If you're trying to change your health, you're trying to become a healthy person. You have to start with, I am a healthy person. What would a healthy person do? And then go from there, which was really, really interesting. The new covenant kind of leans into this idea of we're going away from just changing the things we do we're we're not gonna follow this strict rote because we're gonna fail and we have to move to i'm going to change my identity to being a person who has been who is a forgiven child of god and because i am a ch- forgiven child of god i am going to love him and i'm going to love his creation and there we go uh and then the second thing that uh caught in my brain this morning is when you said, if you follow the law perfectly, would it really change things? Mm -hmm. And uh, someone, a friend of mine who's an atheist, had actually sent me a meme. And if you don't know what a meme is, it's like an internet thing. It's like a picture that makes everybody. Yeah, kind of, kind of. And so this meme said, all right, Christians, turn to your Bibles, open it to a random page, put your finger down, and follow exactly what that sentence says, word for word. Last one to go to jail wins. And <laughs> from that perspective, that, that makes, it's totally right. Because the law, the old law wasn't made for now. The old law had a lot of stoning people in it, and... it's not made for this time. It's not made for this covenant. This covenant has changed things. It's completely overhauled the system. And and when you try and put into practice exactly what the old law says, it doesn't work. It is so frustrating when it always gets pulled back to, well, this is what the old law said. But that's not how things work. It's not what is made for you to follow now so that's that's what stuck in my brain
1: yeah the bible is not that genre it's not a chicken soup for the soul kind of yeah it's a different genre let me offer a prayer jesus thank you for what you have done thank you for giving your life and making us right with god making us justified and thank you that through your life through the work of your spirit You are changing us and removing the infection and showing us how to live well, to live as we were meant to be. And I praise you that in the end, you will raise us to life and give us eternal life and make us more than we can imagine. Thank you for uniting us with God. Thank you for the abundance of your blessing. May we praise you every day give you thanks every day and may our hearts be turned in praise towards you for all eternity amen
0: thank you for listening to our podcast today new life ministries is located in winnipeg manitoba you are invited to join our service in person or over zoom please use the contact us link to send an email to the church office and request the address or zoom link If you would like to use these podcasts as part of your home church or local church gathering, you are free to do so. We do request that you let us know. If there is any other way that we can help you in your ministry, please send us an email.